It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured and valued. You have purpose. Today's drive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. Uh, you were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That is producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And uh, it's been, a, it's just a great week, this Independence Day week, Steve. And we are having some just phenomenal guests this week. Yeah, I'm, I have no arguments with that. Uh, just obviously, like you have already said, that you know we are recording this, and um, you know each day that we record, I just get so drawn into these conversations. And uh, they are. They're so rich. And so it's exciting to be able to do this. We'll be getting to our uh, guest here in just a moment, and that is Professor uh, William B. Allen. And um, just uh, excited about talking about the state of black America. Before we do that, though, a couple of other things. Check out my website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for a weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And remember, my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, or opportunity via force. It could be with a weapon, policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos Globalist Elite's agenda. And before we get over here to uh, Professor uh, William B. Allen, our quote for today is from Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass was a, a black American social reformer, abolitionist, orator, writer, and statesman. He escaped from slavery in Maryland, and he became a national leader in the abolitionist movement. And he was born in 18 and he died in 1895. And this is what he said. He said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And again, that's Frederick Douglass. And uh, I think that's very powerful. So let's get over here and uh, welcome uh, Professor William B. Allen. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you. It's a delight to join you. I appreciate the invitation. And you have a new book out, and it is The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. And since we are celebrating Independence Day uh, this week, I, I find it fascinating, The Promise of the Republic. So let's start with your book and explain, uh, explain what you've done with this particular book, The State of Black America. Well, this is a book that came into being in response to the moment. As we all know, we're living at a time when, at a very high pitch, we're constantly under a rhetorical assault because of America's presumably fatally flawed past. We're told that America was born in sin and never recovered from sin. And there are some people who think, of course, the only way forward is to completely destroy the American heritage and start afresh. That's what you see in the New York Times 1619 project. That's what you see in this great racism with a capital R campaign that is sowing seeds of division throughout our entire culture. So this book was 
born in that context where at the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, we came to the opinion, the decision, that something needed to be done in the way of research and extensive analysis to tell the country exactly what our situation was so that people could think freely about these questions. How has the book been received, um, Professor Allen? It has been received well thus far. It was released on the 24th of May, so it's only a little more than a month ago. And I have had my personally been engaged in an almost endless round of conversations, um, interviews, and appearances in relationship to it. So I'm encouraged to think that it will be read widely and that people will take up the conversation in just the manner that we intended. Okay. Where would you say that, uh, let's talk about progress first. Where have we made progress uh, regarding black America? Well, of course, the first and most important thing to acknowledge is that from the beginning of the period following the end of slavery, there has been uh, continual advancement and progress. In the 30 years between 1860 and 1890, the population of American blacks doubled, and there was no immigration. <laughs> so, so that is just a phenomenal, phenomenal statistic. Uh, uh -huh. That doesn't, doesn't tend to happen in human history. Uh, we saw by 1920, literacy rate went from almost zero to 50%. Uh, we saw economic progress. So at the very beginning, what we saw at a time in our country's history when things were not easy, there was widespread oppression. Uh, there was sharecropping, there was enforced segregation, there was widespread lynching. There were attempts to turn the clock back, as Frederick Douglass put it, that people had seen the energy of what the freedmen were able to accomplish and tried to put the genie back in the box. But the reality was they couldn't put the genie back in the box. So that all the way up to the 1940s and 50s, we saw an advancing level of accomplishment on the part of American blacks. Real solid progress. Now, it is true, I want to, I, I say this with, with some degree of heaviness of heart, that since the period of at least the 1960s, we have not been able to affirm that progress in the full-throated manner we ought to, because we've been in the presence of this racist narrative, this dependent victimhood narrative, this America is hopeless narrative that closes our eyes to the reality. So what our eyes can see, which is a people who left slavery and moved toward the mainstream as free, self-governing citizens, at the same time find themselves in a society that has trouble understanding that they are free, self-governing citizens. And so when Lyndon Johnson declared equal opportunity is not enough, he was saying basically to American blacks, you can't do it. But we had been doing it already by then. But now people say... You can't do it, and you have to become wards of the state, and therefore we could do it for you. What you need is a handout. Well, that has been a poison. It has not only been common albatross for American blacks, but it has sown right into the heart of the entire culture, division of one group from another. Well, and this really started with Lyndon B. Johnson and his great society, where he said to women, uh, not only black women, but women, that, hey, we, the government, will take care of you and your children as long as there's not a man in the house. And what that has done to children, to women, and to men across the spectrum has been very detrimental, Professor Allen. 
Oh, it has been extraordinarily detrimental. And let me put it in context for you. When the aid to families with dependent children was first brought into law, that was during the Depression. It was not aimed at black communities. In fact, they were the least beneficiaries of it because it was widespread want. And so the society at large in general and largely non-black were the primary beneficiaries. But after we came through World War II and the demand from non-black citizens had been reduced considerably, it came to be focused more and more on black communities, particularly in heavily concentrated areas. And therefore, people ultimately came to begin to associate the term poor with being black, to the point that you have a president today who actually speaks that way, as if to be mm -hmm. poor means to be black. Well, that means then that welfare came to be targeted in black communities in a special way. And that's when these regulations about driving fathers out of the home came into play. So you're targeting black communities, breaking up families, whether married or not, you're breaking up families. And then you also targeted those same communities with family planning clinics, it was called, but they were really abortion clinics. So dysfunction, destruction, disorganization came to be targeted on black communities during that period. And it is little wonder that we see the chaos that has resulted from this. <laughs> Professor Allen, it's interesting that you would use those words because I, I think, and you mentioned when we started here, a rhetorical assault. I thought that's that's just a, a, an excellent word picture. But words really matter. And, and so when you're looking at dysfunction, I think destruction, uh, disorder, you know, what are the great words that are the opposite of that? And so we've got a in politics right now, we, it seems that we have, um, and I call them PBIs, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, that are focused more on this dysfunction and um, disorder and destruction. And that's antithetical to the American idea. That It's antithetical to the idea of the American Republic. Yes, very much so. In fact, let's go back to the Republic and remind ourselves what was expected. George Washington certainly made this clear when he said to the people in 1783, you have a national character to establish. And he didn't mean he needed a law to establish it. He meant the people themselves had to have the kind of character that would distinguish this as a new kind of nation, a special kind of nation. And they had to work for that. That character included developing principles of morality, virtue, religion. It included being a sense of justice, fortitude, industry. Basically, it all boiled down to what he called self-government, meaning not majority rule processes, that's all fine. But the real notion of self-government is every self is responsible to look out for itself, to control itself, to be moderate, and to be virtuous, and to be, in that sense, self-governing. And then what he said was, we can prove to the world that human beings can do this. And so today when we're talking about this, we're talking about the same test. Can we prove that human beings, all human beings, can be self-governing, or do we have to continue to buy into this dependency syndrome? Well, and I thought about the dependency syndrome that you mentioned. I think it's a new kind of slavery. And what the government giveth, the government can taketh away. And uh, so I think in a way it's a new kind of slavery uh, where the, you know, the federal government and handouts is, uh, you know, make, making people depend on them. What's your thoughts on that, uh, Professor Allen? I can't agree with you more. You're you right both historically and in terms of where we are today. 
Because remember, slave masters were, of course, the people who had custody of all their so-called property. And they had to provide for their health care, their clothing, their nutrition, and everything. And they were completely dependent on the slave master. And so we're recreating that dependency. But here's a very important difference I want you to see. Slavery, when it existed as an institution apart, as a legally established separate institution, was a cancer that could nevertheless be isolated. It was like a tumor in the body. You could remove it with radical surgery. And that's what we did. That's what the war was. Radical surgery got rid of slavery in that sense. So now we can say 150 years later we're in remission and that is not coming back. But this new form of slavery doesn't set an institution apart. It drives it through the whole bloodstream of the culture. It spreads this infection in such a way that you cannot isolate it to cut it out. And that means the only way you're going to get rid of this new form of slavery is through the chemotherapy of conversation and deliberation. It must be exposing the truth. This is the only way we're going to get rid of this new slavery. Oh, that is so interesting. That's why your book is so important. I'm talking with Professor William B. Allen, and he is resident scholar and former chief operating officer of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education in Washington, D.C. He is the Emeritus Professor of Political Philosophy in the Department of Political Science and Emeritus Dean of James Madison College at Michigan State University. Fascinating conversation. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll continue talking with Professor William B. Allen. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Medical freedom, patient choice, and informed consent are all staples of comprehensive health care. You'll find exactly that at Roots Medical, located in the Denver Tech Center, offering specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Functional, comprehensive, primary health care. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your health care concerns. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, on the line with me is Professor William B. Allen. He has a new book out. Uh, it's The State of Black America, uh, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Uh, Professor Allen, you have several different authors that have contributed chapters to the book. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I'm happy to do that because I'm really very thrilled with the contributions that we got. Let me say, first of all, that what we did with this was to send out a general solicitation, a request for proposals. 
And so uh, from the proposals that were submitted to us, we selected the best ones and put those, therefore, in the book. And so, so we have a series beginning with the political theorist Edward Erler, who reminds us of where the 14th Amendment came from, because that was what sealed the victory that was accomplished through the Civil War by creating the legal framework for the operation on principles of freedom, assuring equal opportunity for all Americans. And his discussion of what the actual framers of that amendment had in mind goes a long way to demonstrate to us how it is we recover the sense of the American heritage through the 14th Amendment and the Civil War. They didn't start fresh. They went back to say, we're fulfilling the original pledge, what Martin Luther King called the promissory note of the founding. And so, so that's a, a really important essay. And it is backed up by the essay by Robert Bland, the historian, who talks about what the three slaves, the ex-slaves, did after slavery ended, entering into politics, particularly Republican politics, going into office and seeking to advance the status of the system itself and the position in that system of American blacks. And those two together give a powerful picture of why it is there was initial progress made. And then we look at the con contributions like Ben Lowry, who writes about Frederick Douglass's essay on what the 4th of July means to the slave, and Ian Rowe, who writes about the challenge of choice in education and dysfunction in families and communities. And you begin to see a, a growing sense of there's a wide uh, scope of subject matter that needs to be covered in order to answer the question, what is the state of black America? And then we have the contributions by, by, by Hall and Cooper, Precious Hall and Daphne Cooper, who say uh, they see things a little differently than some of us. They say we need more government programs. But in the process of saying that, they also say, but the first program, the Great Society programs, all went wrong. So they are there giving a different voice, but still lending credibility to the argument that we made terrible mistakes in the past. And then finally, we have Star Parker, who is, of course, the founder of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, working with Bob Boris to present the essay about especially the destruction of the family through the practice of abortion and such things. So, so that taking those into account, along with the two essays that I contributed, and which review the statistical background and then review the history in the second essay, Chapter 4, uh, especially of Martin Luther King and of... Um, Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, we then begin to see that there is a broad framework in this book that allows you to get a good grasp of what the whole picture looks like and not just bits and pieces here and there. It's a fascinating book, for sure. Um, you mentioned abortion, and I, I really think, Professor Allen, that the abortion is our generation's slavery question. And uh, the other day on the show, uh, out here in Colorado, we have some of the most radical abortion laws in on the face of the earth now. A baby can actually be aborted in the birth canal, and possibly the language is so ambiguous even after the, the child is born. But I did read um, just a, a news article and inserted the word slavery for the word abortion. And um, I, I think that it really kind of made a, a point with our listeners. Uh, we have learned so much since 1973 when Roe v. Wade 
was ruled on by the uh, Supreme Court. And now, of course, the Supreme Court has overturned that, saying that that decision goes back to the states. But I think that this is our slavery issue of our generation. What do you think? Oh, I think it has been for the last 50 years. Because the fundamental principle at stake in this is what does the right to life mean? And it cannot mean simply walking around. <laughs> it seems to be what the people who argue in favor of uh, abortion for any reason or no reason seem to mean, that if you're not walking around, then you're not really alive. But the fact is that life is what leads to the conception of the importance of self-government, that every human being is born and endowed by God with an obligation to govern him or herself and to do so in accord with those obligations. But to do that, all must be brought to a certain level of development. And that level of development is the acquisition of mature enough intelligence to be self-governing. So we now know what it looks like, right? We know where we're headed. So who can deny that when life begins, it is aimed at that moment when the mature intelligence enters upon the stage of the world in full self-governing capacity. Now, to take that from anybody is to deprive them of the greatest good. It is a mortal injury. So, yes, it is like the slavery issue. It's fundamental in defining what a human being is and what it is we're aiming for in protecting life. Well, it is fundamental, and I think I don't. I think a lot of people don't know that um, Planned Parenthood was founded by Margaret Sanger, who she uh, they actually put um, many of their Planned Parenthood facilities in uh, black neighborhoods, and that was by design, from my understanding, Professor Allen. That, that was by design. As I said in my previous comments, it's a form of targeting. That community was targeted from the beginning by the eugenicists because they wanted to reduce the population of people they deemed unworthy to live. It was as simple as that. And, and so we can see the effect that it's had, but now since they got to the stage where they couldn't do it outright, having been sufficiently embarrassed by the Nazi experiment that they no longer can declare what their aims were, they do it in a differing way through a kind of psychologizing, by persuading people that they want it, that the, the, the real right is the right not to give birth. The real right is not the right to be a fully functioning, maturely intelligent, self-governing human being, but to be a human being who can say no to humanity and to persuade women that it's your body, it's your choice, and nothing else is going on here. So they, it's the magician waving the left hand one way and the right hand the other way, and you're only supposed to watch one and not both. But the fact of the matter is, Sanger and all those who were involved in launching us on this pathway had a clear purpose in mind, which was to destroy a certain order for the community. And I say this, I want to emphasize this, if you give me a moment to do that. Uh, we know abortion has always been with human society. It is not new. It didn't start with Sanger. What the eugenicists did was to target it precisely in this manner to get rid of certain elements of the society. In the ancient world, they had laws that sometimes forced people to abort if the, the births were not socially approved. And, and that's close to what we were getting to. We had forced sterilization in this country, and then that came to be challenged 
and it became the more tacit sterilization of forced abortion, but abortion through psychological coercion rather than physical coercion. And just before we go to break, abortion, and this is the other thing that is so concerning about Planned Parenthood, is that um, abortion isn't just a procedure. I, I really think that women and men, um, they, they realize, I mean, I think it can be a wound on the heart of uh, mothers and fathers. And, and there's, uh, I think that people need to understand that that there is forgiveness and compassion if that is a choice that people have been, have made. And again, I think many times they've been lied to. What's your final thought on that before we go to break, Professor Allen? My final thought is you're quite right. The fact of the matter is it's not a matter of health care. Uh, yes, everybody recognizes that there will be, every mature intelligence recognizes that there will be cases where abortion is going to be necessary. That's going to happen in this fallen world. And when that happens, it should not be stigmatized. But it should not be discretionary. It should not be for any reason or no reason. And it's not a matter of health care to have carried a child for nine months and then abort it. Because you have no greater risk at delivery than in uh, abortion at that point. So it's not health care at all. And so, so the idea of this is reproductive health is part of the lie. Right, and and that's why this rhetorical assault has been going on. But uh, and the way to to address that is exactly what we're doing: is bringing forth truth, educating people. So I greatly appreciate that. We're going to go to break. I'm talking with Professor William B. Allen about his very important book, "The State of Black America: Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic." Before we do that, though, the show comes to you from great, great sponsors, and one of those is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations: that's Loveland, Aurora, Westminster, uh, Lone Tree. In Colorado Springs. They have all kinds of specials, both for lunch and happy hour, Monday through Friday. Great place to get together with friends and watch um, your favorite team compete uh, now that it's baseball season. Lots going on there. Uh, so be sure and check that out. And how they became partners of mine, uh, we actually explain it. It's, it's a story about free markets and freedom and capitalism. So you can check that out. We've got that on my website. That's KimMunson.com. We will be right back with Professor William B. Allen. And it's Independence Day week, and we have these very special shows planned for you. And these shows come to you because I have great sponsors. And Karen Levine, happy Independence Day week to you. Well, it is a pleasure to be here during Independence Week. (laughs) And as we think about America and uh, declaring our independence and fighting for it, what do you think about Karen Levine? I think about the history behind it. I think about when I see overreaching government. I wanted to throw tea into a harbor. Uh Um, Why did they do that? Because they wanted freedom, independence. They were tired of being overtaxated. All the important things, all those foundational things of America that makes us the unique and prosperous country that we are. And to see those things under threat on a more regular basis in today's society becomes somewhat saddening for me. Well, it is. And... um you're a sponsor of both the shows, The Kim Munson Show and America's Veteran Stories, which you and I, we get so many comments on America's Veteran Stories. It's so important to keep these stories alive. But you just mentioned limited government, and we had talked offline. Uh, sometimes a limited government, sometimes the Homeowners Association can be very um, – uh, 
unlimited. How should I say that? And you had a recent experience of that. Well, last year, as a team, the DeVito Dreammaker uh, team at REMAX Alliance, we selected um, several communities and went out and put flags in their front yards. And my husband and I went out on a warm afternoon last year and put out over 650 flags in a community that I very much honor and respect. It's a beautiful home uh, community, and I watched it being built many years ago. And I got a phone call six weeks ago and was told that my flags were not welcome in their community this year. Unbelievable, because just a small amount of people complained about that. And I've got to think that uh, everybody's going to be looking for those flags Mm -hmm. this year, and uh, they're going to have some splaining to do. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, when you get uh, a community of 650 and you get three or four phone calls that claim that I was in violation of their rules and regulations... Well, I was not in violation of their rules and regulations because I'm an independent voice, just like your show is an independent voice. And I was expressing my freedoms and celebrating the holiday and giving them the benefit of that. But their rules and regulations say you can't put promotional material in on their doors or in their yards. But how would I know that I am not a member of that community, yeah. you know, a homeowner? So. It was, it's been an interesting journey, but certainly makes me sad. Let's all fly our flags high this week. Let's right. get them out um, on our front porches, and let's remember um, the people who lost their lives to ensure these freedoms, and let's continue to fight for those freedoms. Absolutely. Karen Levine, REMAX, Realtor 303-877-7516, 303-877-7516. And uh, thank you. Happy Independence Day week to you. And to you as well. We'll be right back. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Monson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Thrilled to have as our guest, Professor William B. Allen. He's an American political scientist. Uh, he's uh, been the professor of political philosophy and dean at the James Madison College at Michigan State University. And he uh, was a member of the National Council on the Humanities and chairman of the United States Commission on Civil Civil Rights from 1988 to 1989. So fascinating uh, career for sure. Professor Allen, your book, The State of uh, Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. And I, I, I think that those words, the promise of the republic, are so interesting 
because as we look at the Declaration of Independence, this idea, this vision that America was founded on, that all men are created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that vision doesn't match up with slavery. I, I think the founders knew that. Uh, and it's rather remarkable that this, you know, these 13 little colonies hanging off the eastern seaboard, you know, takes on Great Britain, um, you know, the, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time, to declare their independence and with this vision of all men are created equal. And I, I don't think that people realize that at that time, slavery was prevalent throughout the world. Uh, there are so many that uh, want to blame America for slavery, but I think Jefferson said this was foisted upon us. What's your thoughts on that? It is certainly true that people knew slavery the way they knew oxygen in those days, i.e., it was part of the atmosphere so, so, so that one breathed it. And, and therefore, people didn't go... But they weren't slave-holding because they each made independent individual decisions to enter into the business of slavery. As often as not, they inherited it or had it passed on through other kinds of business relationships and then responded in the context of, what are my obligations now? What does the law require? What are the opportunities? And certainly some of it was opportunistic. But I would like to say this, to put it in a different perspective. It's true that slavery was introduced already in 1619. So when the pilgrims came, there were people who, whether they were indentured or slaves, doesn't really make a lot of difference at this stage of the analysis because it grew into slavery eventually. But what people forget is that they were not, that was not the whole story of the Mayflower and the associated vessels that made that journey to North America, uh, or all the people in it. They, they were variously disposed. They had been sent off already by Pastor Robinson from Europe, from Delft Haven with an injunction to create a free self-governing society and to form a compact that would commit them to living in that way. So, so that they had principles from the beginning that would lead them in the direction of what became the Declaration of Independence. And also they had personality. That there was somebody on the Mayflower whom people don't pay attention to who had already been in North America before because he was at Jamestown. And his name was Stephen Hopkins. And Hopkins was not an aristocrat. He was an ordinary fellow, a clerk, who was literate, and therefore whose services were needed by the aristocratic adventurers who went to Jamestown. And he ended up not being lost in the massacres at Jamestown because his family, his wife had died in England, and he had returned to take care of his orphan children. But before that happened, he had actually been tried and sentenced to death by the people in Jamestown because of speaking out of turn. And why did he speak out of turn? Probably, we don't have any record of this, but from the, all the circumstantial evidence, it would appear that he objected to the way that the natives were being treated. So the other settlers weren't willing to work, tried to force the natives to work. Hopkins was the only person who would do any work, and his death sentence was commuted because he was the only one who would do any work, and they couldn't afford not to have him there until he left, finally, to return to England. So, so he came back on the Mayflower, after having been in Jamestown the decade previously. And he did not have slaves. Not only that, but he ran a public house there in Massachusetts where he got into trouble with the authorities there because he allowed any and everybody to come into his public house. He had no distinction of persons, of conditions, or backgrounds, or ethnicity. So, so from the beginning, there were these tensions. That's my point I want to underscore here. 
that there were people who were committed to what we would call an almost egalitarian social conception. Now, not a socialist, but an egalitarian social conception of how to deal with other human beings. And that works its way through the American bloodstream. So that by the time of the Declaration of Independence, there's a third generation, Stephen Hopkins, who was governor of Rhode Island and who became a signer of the Declaration of Independence, who was president at that meeting. He had, in that third generation, actually acquired a couple of slaves. But at the time of the Declaration, he manumitted them. He'd become convicted that slavery was wrong. So that's the point I'm trying to bring home. People struggled with this question, came to a mature understanding of it, over time decided this was wrong, we need to be separated from it, discovered it was a terrible social difficulty, went through all the struggles of the early 19th century, and finally had to come to grief in war in order to get free. Well, and it is, again, it's remarkable. No place else on the face of the earth has there ever been a civil war to answer this question on whether or not one man can own another one. And so that is a unique to the American idea, the American heritage, the American Republic. How does that match up, that narrative, how does that match up with what we've been seeing come out of the New York Times with the 1619 Project? What's your thoughts on that? It's exactly the opposite of the times, and I'm so glad you put it that way, because what people need to understand is, yes, of course, there were many slaves who ended up participating and fighting for their own freedom and working their way to freedom. But it was also the case that it never, slavery would never have happened if there hadn't been a brother's war, if there hadn't been brother against brother over the question of the right and wrong of slavery. Slavery would never have ended. And the reason that war happened in that way is because of the Declaration of Independence and the founding of the United States. Those are the principles Lincoln went back to, that Lincoln appealed to. That was why Lincoln uh, objected to the Dred Scott opinion, that it is blowing out the moral lights among us. That was the expression he used in the debates with Stephen A. Douglas. So this idea that a country would tear itself apart over a matter of moral principle that was the unique historical event, and that certainly meant that America had vindicated its claim. Yes, it had to respect the right of consent. That's what self-government means. No one can govern anyone else without his or her consent. That's what makes slavery wrong. That also means it's necessary to get people to change their minds about things like slavery through processes of consent. And when that broke down and the war came because the slaveholders fired on Fort Sumter and attempted to withdraw, then it was necessary to go to war in order to settle the question. You know, the 19 Project won't, won't acknowledge that. Right. So a couple, a couple of things on that. I think it's important to, for the people realize we mentioned that slavery was prevalent throughout the, the, the world at that time, but it wasn't just whites having black slaves. There were blacks that had black slaves. There were yes, uh, yes. Indians that had slaves. Yes. Uh, it was all the way around. Yes, and because as I said, it's like the atmosphere. It is what people did because that's the world they lived in. And the people tend typically just to accept the world as they first received it before they later come to a critical understanding of it. And it takes a special circumstance to allow that critical understanding to become powerful enough to want to make to change things. Uh, and so that's the world we're looking at. The, the idea in the 1619 project that the framers of the Constitution did so, or the Declaration of Independence did so because they wanted to defend slavery, is an outright falsehood. 
Yes, there were slaveholders there. We know who the people were at Rutledge Paint Meets in South Carolina who participated and who sought to defend slavery. The majority were not defending slavery. There was a Bruno Morris in the Constitutional Convention who said, being a very libertarian soul, that the purpose of government is the protection of property. And he wanted the Constitution to make that its first principle. Until the slaveholders said, right, let's protect our property. And then Morris said, oh, wait a minute. I don't mean property of human beings. And then he had to back off because it was going to be abused. Those are the kinds of debates that took place in the Constitutional Convention. And they therefore lay at the heart of the society and work their way through to the moment at which we face the challenge of eliminating slavery. Well, and I'm, as you're speaking about this, Professor Allen, I'm thinking about today and what has happened uh, to some of black America being dependent uh, on the government. And, yes. you know, wh where do we go from here? Because I, I guess you answered that earlier, but where I'll ask it again. Where do we go from here? Well, I, I like the, way, the fact that you put it that way because it reminds me of the title of Martin Luther King's book, his, his last book, really, which is titled Chaos or Community, Where Do We Go From Here? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but, but, but what he did in answering the question was to say to uh, American blacks, look, uh, you can't go anywhere until the, uh, the man, the oppressor, changes. And that was a fundamental mistake. He had stepped on his own lines. He had earlier invoked the Declaration of Independence, the promissory note of the founding, the rights of the Judeo-Christian tradition, all of those powerful things. Now he was stepping on his own lines and developing a sense of dependent victimhood that was left having to wait for a handout rather than understanding that the real way forward, the real place that we go from here is to extend a helping hand. And it is important for American blacks to see themselves in that posture as people who have the potential and the opportunity to vindicate the claims of America, to rescue America. They, they can make real what Frederick Douglass and Ida Wells Barnett said in 1893, that the story of the progress of the freed persons is actually the story of the strength and resilience of the American heritage. That's, what, that's where we go from here, is to restore confidence in the promise of the Republic. Okay, so that is going to bring up the question then of critical race theory that's being taught uh, in many of our public schools. We're going to go to break. I'm talking with Professor William B. Allen about his book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Uh, we will be right back. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. 
Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And uh, on the line with us is Professor William B. Allen. And we're talking about the important book, uh, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Professor Allen, I'm so concerned as we have learned about this critical race theory. It has a lot of different names. But it looks like what it's doing is having our children identify with a group instead of the individual that they are, the self-government governing that you would say, in, uh, but identifying with a group and then pitting one group against the other, saying one's a victim and one's an oppressor. What's your thoughts on critical race theory or whatever the name of it is, You know, whatever school's using it? Yes, you're certainly right about that. In fact, it's even worse than just having them identify as a group. It's a form of Maoism. And you, you see youngsters, and I, I've watched youngsters uh, illustrate this through their own behavior. They're being trained to, into forms of self-criticism. For example, they have to be, learn how to express their awareness of their white privilege and apologize for it. Uh, so, so it's not just identifying in terms of membership in a group, but it's internalizing a kind of ritual chant about political formation and ideological formation that makes it more like the Maoist cultural revolution than anything else. So, so this is the critical race theory component is what lies at the heart of the racism of the capital R narrative, uh, which I've discussed elsewhere, that is driving, that it's really injecting poison into the veins of our culture and it's causing extraordinary damage. So, so it hurts those who are on the receiving end uh, as in terms of who regard themselves as privileged, and it hurts those who are on the opposite end who are supposed to see the rest of the world as oppressive to them and themselves as dependent victims. And you can't escape those two roles once you fall into them. You're, you're in them. They're self-defining. And the only thing you can do is to renounce any claim to self-respect and to yield to the power of those who determine the terms of discourse. Well, and I think that we as a nation had not realized how prevalent this was. A lot of this was under the surface, and a silver lining, I think, to the reaction to COVID was, I have always wondered, what what could be done to uh, address the power of the teachers union over curriculum and teachers? And I, I, I think in a way it was COVID because COVID shed a light on what has been occurring. Instead of our kids learning to read and write and do arithmetic and uh, great literature and civics and history, uh, parents found out that actually they that they're they've been 
indoctrinated on critical race theory or iterations thereof, and then also the sexualizing of our children with these radical um, um, uh, sex education agendas. And so I think there was a, a, a silver li- silver lining to all of this, Professor Allen. Yes, that, that awakening because things that were hidden now were in the full light of day gives us the opportunity to respond and to respond in such a way as to begin to correct it. But one of the things to remember is that it was hidden, but also it had already advanced so far. Uh, It was was as if you had leukemia, and you discovered it only after it was spread throughout your entire body. Because we have it in our universities, in our corporate structures, in our military structures, throughout our government. Wherever you turn, wherever you find people in leadership positions, you find they've been infected by this particular uh, syndrome. So, so it being revealed in education is only revealing, well, it's like the Titanic seeing just the small tip of the iceberg that it runs into. There's a lot more beneath the surface. Well, I think that's why your book is so important, The State of Black America. It's so important uh, to have these conversations about this as well. Um, I think critical race theory then also moves to this discussion of reparations, uh, which I think is very Marxist because basically it is taking from one person to give to another under, you know, under a guise of of a narrative. But I, I, I can't believe that we're even having a conversation like this. Legislation is being passed in some different states that you would take from someone who's never owned slaves to give to somebody that never was a slave. But how? What's your thoughts on that? Well, of course, it's utterly insane, isn't it? As I often tease my children, whose backgrounds are not only African, but also uh, Bohemian, uh, English, Scottish, uh, I said, you're going to have to pay me. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But the problem is somebody else has to pay them. So it it is utterly insane (laughs) this demand at this distance. The idea of reparations is a sound legal concept, of course. Everybody knows that, that there's nothing wrong with reparations as a concept legally. But you cannot apply uh, a demand for reparations collectively to people who are not immediately responsible or direct beneficiaries of an original injury. So you have to be able to go back to an injury to find reparations and then find the people responsible as well as those directly affected. It's not just anybody who's appearance happens to be black that therefore qualifies for reparations. They must have to be in some line of direct contact, and it should be relatively immediate, not so many generations removed that nobody can trace it any longer. So, so the idea is insane. But, but it's not being pushed on us because it's insane. It's being pushed on us because it has a certain political appeal and power. And it's part of that general appeal for more dependence, more ways to create the welfare state and principles that say that people ought to be taken care of rather than to take care of themselves. Well, and as you're talking about that, it makes me think of the word work. And uh, uh, there's dignity in work. 
and just giving something to somebody. And we'll, I mean, we all agree that there is a, a small portion of society that just can't take care of themselves. Uh, it might be because of health or, uh, you know, different things like that. But, but there's dignity in work and just handing somebody money when they're capable of working, I think is very degrading because in essence saying to them, you don't have anything of value that we're going to trade value for value for. We're just going to give you something. And um, I think that there's such value and dignity in work. What do you think? Yeah, oh, there's no question about it. That's why we say the fundamental virtues that are involved with uh, self-government are virtues of fortitude, industry, forbearance, and justice. And, and that, that fortitude and industry are right at the heart of that. It is not simply that you get value out of working, but it's the way of realizing who you are. <laughs> it's the way of accomplishing. You know, the, Abraham Maslow used to talk about the uh, you know, hierarchy of values, and, and they're all the instrumental values, and then you get to the very top where you get real fulfillment. Well, well, our point is to flourish as human beings. And we don't get to flourish as human beings because somebody takes a papa and pours nutrition into our mouth. We get to flourish as human beings through our own exertions and our sense of accomplishment and sense of agency. That's why it's important that we work. That's why we put It is not just that. It, it, sure, everybody would like to live on easy street at one level until they stop to think about it. And they realize that being on easy street and not having exerted oneself is makes you really flabby. Yes, uh, that <laughs> that's for sure. Um, we have just a. a I, I guess the I, the last question that I'd like to ask is the is and I've said this and was challenged by one of our guests that I feel that we are in our third American founding and that doesn't mean that uh, that we're want to burn it down and start over I think what I mean on that is that we're reclaiming these words these vision of the American founding and of course that occurred at the Revolutionary War where the Patriots uh, went to to battle with Britain to uh, to determine to say that they could be self-governing and then of course with Lincoln and the Civil War I feel that we're in an ideological civil war right now and we're in our third founding I feel hopeful the divine provider had his hand on this country at the beginning and I think he still does what do you think Professor William B. Allen well, you know I'm, I'm perfectly happy to embrace the idea that we are always challenged with the founding challenge and I, I was just saying this to a group of teachers yesterday in fact that the reality is answering the question who we are is not a question that you can go back in history to find. It's not an answer you can go back in history to find. You can find your way in history. But the whole point of the American founding is to point the finger always at us here and now. That, that we are the ones responsible. That's what George Washington was saying in his farewell address. It's you who are responsible. It's not I, George Washington. It's not somebody in the distant past. It's always you. So in that sense, every moment for us is a founding moment because it's the moment in which we must take responsibility to define who we are and how we live. And only when we are doing that is America actually living up to its promise. So yes, call it the third or the 33rd founding. Every generation starts off with the same obligation the original generation had, which is be responsible. 
and to take ownership of the society. Oh, absolutely fascinating. Uh, Professor William B. Allen, author of The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was just gold. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, and you're most welcome. And uh, so our quote for the end of the show is from Frederick Douglass. He said, liberty is meaningless where the right to utter only thoughts and opinions has ceased to exist. That of all rights is the dread of tyrants. It is the right which they first of all strike down. So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. And welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You'll get first look at all of our upcoming guests, our most recent essays, our most recent podcast. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, livelihood, or opportunity via force, whether with a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos Globalist Elites Agenda. So with that, thank you so for, so much for joining us um, you are each treasured, you're valued, you have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. Uh, my friends, you were made for this moment, and I get to work with a great team. That is producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at uh, Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Thursday to you, producer Steve. Yes, and uh, just to be official, Kay has dubbed this Thankful Thursday. It is Thankful Thursday. And we are doing something very special this week uh, as we celebrate Independence Day. We are pre-recording uh, very special interviews. And uh, very excited to have in studio with me right now. That is uh, Donna Tompkins. Donna, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much, Kim. I'm happy to be here. And you have done something very special. So I'm going to go to our quote first. Steve, you be ready for this, and then I'm going to ask um, Don about this as well. And this is from Thomas Paine, and uh, he's one of our American patriots. He said this, I prefer peace, but if trouble must come, let it come in my time so that my children can live in peace. So, Producer Steve, what's your thoughts on that? I think anybody who has kids and or grandkids would, would readily agree with that. And it does seem daunting. The news is is of great concern, inflation and wars and all that's happening. But 
I look at this from Thomas Paine, and it does give me peace because I'm glad that we're here. When I say we were made for this time, we're made for this time. So again, Donna, the quote is, I prefer peace, but if trouble must come, let it come in my time so that my children can live in peace. What's your thoughts on that? That's a lot of why we are doing what we are doing right now. Um, I feel like I have gotten to live a beautiful free life in this country. I love this country. Um, and I want the same for my kids. And that's why we get up every day and we do what we do. Um, I feel like I'm in a position to do that. Whereas my young sons, daughter-in-laws and grandchildren, they are just entering this world. Mm -hmm. And so I do want to leave a legacy for them that I'm proud of. So with that, uh, you are the founder of Liberty uh, Liberty Girls. Uh, So tell us, how did that happen? Sure. Um, So we have been together about 16 months. And last March, I found myself in a place where I think I was just really angry. I was angry at what I saw in this beautiful country. I was angry at what I saw happening with no consequences. I saw people in positions of power not standing up for our country, our businesses, our individuals. Um, And I felt like it was very lawless. And I decided um, I couldn't do everything, but I could do something that I knew how to do, and that was to invite people into my home. I kind of by accident got invited to a conservative women's group online. I saw hundreds of women putting their names out there, and then I saw people saying, well, I live in Littleton, I live in Thornton, I live in Denver, and all these people were right around the corner from me, and I thought, I'm going to invite them to my home. And so I reached out to them, and immediately 30 women signed up. And our first meeting, we had 20 women in my living room. I fed them coffee and snacks. I told them my heart behind starting a like-minded group. And then we literally spent four hours together where I just let them tell their stories. And they were stories of children not being able to go to school, Uh, Moms crying as they sent their kids off to school with masks, knowing how hard it was. Uh, People ready to lose their jobs. Really life-changing issues that they felt like they had no control over. And I can only explain it as kind of a supernatural bonding that happened when people were able to speak their mind and really express how they were feeling, which was pretty devastated. Um, And so since that time, we've grown from 20 women to over 400 women. Remarkable. Yeah, it really is because it's just really, um, it's a private group. And so it's invitation only. Uh, We have started two other groups and we hope to continue doing what we're doing. Well, and how did you name the group? Um, we were pretty thoughtful about that. We, we wanted the word liberty in there, um, and we wanted our group to appeal to all ages. And so our youngest member is 17, and our oldest is 90. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh. But I thought the word girls um, was fun because it didn't matter. We're still girls, Mm -hmm. no matter what age we are. Um, And we have shirts and a logo, and I just thought it was a fun name, and it really has appealed to people. And it's Liberty Girls. Correct. And you're famous. I think you're famous now, because I hear about you guys all the time. 
there's a lot of us right mm-hmm. now. And um, I would say the tone of the group and how women feel about being a part of the group overall is so positive that they do want to share it. Um, and so they're out there. And, and the other thing about our group, when I started it, I had three goals in mind, and it's the same goals still. One was just to meet each other and support each other and realize that we weren't crazy, that there were a lot of other like-minded people out there. We just hadn't met them yet. Um, we try to support one another, too, even if it comes, I need prayer, I need food, I'm having surgery. So it's that support in a like-minded group. Number two was education. I will speak for myself, but there are so many issues I had not understood or been involved in. I think I was very trusting of people in positions Mm -hmm. of authority to do the right thing, and all of a sudden, my eyes were open. So education is a big part of what we're doing. Um, But number three was most important, and that was to mobilize, not just to sit around and grumble, but how can we come together as a force and with our name and actually make an impact? And what we've seen is we've been able to make Mm -hmm. some impact. So at the, um, let's see, it was the state assembly, well, also the, the county assembly, there were a number of Liberty Girls that were first-time delegates, first to county and then to the state assembly. Correct. Um, one of the things that we try to be is very timely in the issues we take on. So a lot of our girls are from Douglas County. Last year, it was the Douglas County School Board we mobilized around. And along with many other groups, girls within the Liberty Girls were speaking at school board meetings. They were calling in for public comment. They were standing on corners with new candidate signs for people that we wanted to be board members. And we were able to see that we were able to make a difference. This year, we looked at the calendar and we said, it's an election year. What do our women need to be empowered to do? What do we need to learn? And so we were very intentional. In January and February, we had speakers in, and I literally said to our speakers, we need caucus for dummies. What is it? When is it? Where do you go? What do you do when you get there? Um, And the exciting thing was uh, doing that for two months leading up to March 1st, we had over 45 positions filled by ladies in our group. So what do you mean 45 positions? So they became delegates? Uh, Delegates, PCPs, uh, poll watchers. um, Some people took on multiple roles. I don't even think I had the final count. But an enormous number of women stepped up. And even women that went to caucus for the first time, not necessarily wanting to step up to um, say they would represent their community, but they got there and there was three other people and they thought, I think I can do this better than them. Mm -hmm. And they stood up. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the feedback I've gotten from those women when they went to assembly was how good they felt to be in the process Mm -hmm. that they had never been in before. Right. Right. As we look at, and I say this to my team all the time, because you look at the news, the headlines, and sometimes it can seem daunting. And I say, aren't you glad you're in the fight? And that is what's so important is that we know that we are doing something. And uh, and you certainly have uh, really done a lot. Before we go to break, uh, Liberty Girls, you said it's by invitation only. If somebody is listening right now and they're interested in getting more information, how could they possibly do that? We would love to hear from them. We do have an email. It's libertygirlsco, as in Colorado, 
at gmail just send me a note i actually do schedule a phone call with each gal wanting to join us just to find out what they've been involved in um, that they're like-minded um, and how they can contribute to the group so we would love to hear from them okay and that's libertygirlco at gmail.com correct okay very good we're going to go to break uh, before we do that though i want to give a shout out to the nonprofit that i have adopted and that is the usmcmemorialfoundation.org And back in 1977, the Marine Memorial out at Colfax and 6th Avenue was dedicated. It's time for a remodel. And Paula Sarles and her whole team are working to raise the money to do that. Paula Sarles is a Vietnam-era Marine veteran, and she's also a Gold Star wife. And uh, one of the things you could do is you could buy a brick to honor your loved one. And they certainly will have walkways with uh, um, Marines, but also there will be a walkway with other branches of service as well. And uh, I had actually gotten a uh, brick for my father to honor him. He was in the Air Force. So if you want to help them out to donate, buy a brick, go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. And we will be right back with Donna Tompkins. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national level. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, we're doing something very special this week. That is, we're pre-recording uh, these interviews and talking about our America founding and, and just all these things about America. And it would be so appropriate that we talk to the founder of the Liberty Girls, that is Donna Tompkins. Uh, Donna, it's great to have you here. Thanks so much, Kim. Okay, so 20 women in your living room. You now have 400. Do you have a big living room? Um, That's funny. Um, Probably the biggest meeting we've had at my home was 87. And I always laugh because uh, you can imagine there's probably 87 cars um, in my neighborhood and nobody ever asks me what I'm doing. I went to caucus for the first time and I'm sitting there in caucus and it turns out the gal that was running our meeting um, happens to be in my group and I asked her, I said, Debbie, this is our neighborhood. Can I just tell them what we're doing in case anybody has a spouse that wants to come or an interest? And she said, sure. So I explained to the crew, a lot of them were men, and I said, this is what I'm doing at my house. And one man, he, he turns around and he says, wait a minute, what street do you live on? And I, I told him, and he goes, 
I kept wondering who was having all those estate sales, <laughs> which cracked me up because nobody had ever asked before. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're having to get bigger venues. I mean, obviously, we don't always get all members mm-hmm. at every meeting. Uh, but now that we have some other groups that we might be doing some joint events, we're actually looking for larger venues that can host us. What a great problem to have. It really is. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. So what are you seeing about these women that are stepping forward? You said they're, your youngest is 17, your oldest is 90, which that's remarkable. That's mm-hmm. terrific. So who's who's interested? What, what Tell us a little bit about, about some of the members. Um, I would say that a lot of these women have never been involved in a group They've never been involved in an effort like this. I, you know, I heard a podcast one time, and I think this is true. Um, people, I think, that tend to lean conservative, we're a little bit private in the sense that we feel like our responsibility to our communities really is just to raise our family, uh, contribute to our public schools, um, take care of our yards, vote when it's an election year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and like, just take care of ourselves and our community mm-hmm. in kind of a general way. Um, and we have other things that give us a lot of identity. It, it's our church affiliation. It's our personal faith. Um, those kinds of things. And we always thought that that was that was our responsibility, and we still do. Um, now, what we see is we have this bigger responsibility. So I see a lot of people that literally they were just taking care of their families. And all of a sudden, um, you know, women that have been taking care of children, just volunteering at their schools, they're realizing that we need to be doing more. We need to be showing up all the time. And it's really like a muscle we haven't used before. Mm -hmm. We're not used to being out every night at different meetings or trying to find out what they're trying to put in our community or what they're putting in our schools. So I would say... There's a lot of women that have never done anything like this. They're kind of excited, and it's kind of overwhelming, but they're doing it. Um, We have former military wives in our group. We have current military wives. Uh, We have a lot of people, I would say, that are kind of entrepreneurial business owners or maybe came from an entrepreneurial independent family. We never depended on government. I know I grew up in a small family business. My dad had a graphic design business. Uh, we didn't consider that we needed the government for anything other than please keep our country safe, which I don't think they're doing now. Please keep the lights on, which I'm not That's, sure we're going to be able to do. Yes, <laughs> telegraphing brownouts. Uh-huh. Correct. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of women who have grown up like me that are just so... I would say offended at how uh, government agencies are trying to speak into our lives and limit what we can do, and they're not even doing their job. Um, so, and and we have the, like the younger gals. Some go to um, college right now. Um, some of them are in very conservative colleges or faith-based colleges, I would say, and some are very liberal. And they share with us kind of the pressure that they're under mm-hmm. being in those environments. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really helpful to have a 90-year-old in our group during COVID. She walked in. So you guys met in person? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. you rebels. I know. You rebels. I oh, know. My. I know. I just shut my front door. Yeah. I thought nobody else needs yeah. to, to know. Um, Did we ever dream? That we would have government bureaucracies, government politicians tell us that we couldn't get together. No. 
No, and and honestly, um, I've been a part of the law enforcement community for 35 years, and that really was one of the things that made me so angry and made me start this group is um, I know that um, when things are happening in our community, state, country, and there's no consequences for the bad stuff, <laughs> I we know that it will accelerate, and we even mm-hmm. see right now with the threats to the Supreme Court, um, the threats of violence about Roe v. Wade. Um, I knew a year and a half ago that if this was not stopped, this is the way that it would go. Mm -hmm. Um, So, no, I didn't ever think we'd be here. But it's really encouraging. Um, Like our 90-year-old, she wasn't, even though I think older folks are more concerned about COVID, she had such a balanced response to it. Like, I'll be reasonable. I'll take care of myself, but I'm not going to hide in my house. Mm -hmm. I'm 90 years old, Mm -hmm. you know? We're kind of germy people. There's stuff out there, but I'm going to live my life. Um, And and really, when we started, COVID was still pretty full on. Right. Um, But I will tell you that those women walked into my house, hugged each other like they had known each other their whole lives. It was amazing. So, yes, I think so many of us realized, well, okay, so the first two weeks, I kind of, okay, two weeks flatten the curve. And producer Steve and I, now there's this meme out there. What's the most difficult thing about the f- two weeks to flatten the curve is the first two years. Right. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. And it's not funny. <laughs> no. No, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not. But um, there are silver linings to COVID. And one of them would be this waking up of these women, bringing these women together, becoming involved in this process, getting engaged in this battle of ideas. So there's something very positive about that, uh, Donna. There really is. And I think once your eyes are open to, you can't go back. And so um, I'll use as an example what we saw being trained um, to our teachers in Douglas County. Um, I was appalled. I actually listened to the actual trainings that were, I think they paid $29,000, $39,000 for these trainers to come in and teach um, teachers um, things that I felt like it was really hard to listen to. It was such racist jargon. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we have got to step up. Um, and I, I try really never to weigh in on things that I haven't heard personally. And that's why I went through the pain of listening to these. And I was appalled. My children went through Douglas County Schools. I would have never thought this was happening. And I have lots of good friends that are teachers. I love them. I don't think they made the decisions, but they're coming down from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that we know now. Um I have grandchildren that potentially could go to public school, and so, yeah, I want to know about it. And I think I've only ever talked to one mom, and I get it. I mentioned something to her, and she said, what is CRT? And so her husband said, "Um, well, just give us a little summary. So I gave my little summary. And she goes, I don't want to know about this. And I said, you have to know what's going on. You are sending your two little boys into a public school, you need to know what is being taught. So um, it's hard to look at sometimes. I think especially for young parents, I have a real heart for young parents. I cannot imagine. Oh, I know it. 
the challenges right now, and they care so much about their children. And we had, I think we had trusted, and I think you kind of alluded to that, I think that we had trusted that we elect people, they have the best interests in mind of us and our families, same with the education system. And again, the silver lining on COVID is, you know, that that veil has been pulled off. And so now we're in a position, we're learning what's happening, and we need to be electing people that understand the principles of our American founding and that will have the courage to stand for those American principles, Donna. Correct. And I think it's kind of hard right now because you see so few people really standing on principle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always, I, well, I shouldn't say that, way back when, I think I was very liberal. I was a Democrat. Um, I see how the party has changed. It's not the party of JFK. Not at all. Um, it's completely different. And so I, I sort of changed um, and I became a Republican. But the part of the waking up for me is also seeing that the Republican Party doesn't represent uh, the will of the people a lot of times and that and it's our fault that we haven't been involved I think that they have been able to push a narrative many times and we just went along with Mm -hmm. it and now our eyes are opened that um, why are you supporting that particular Mm -hmm. candidate that doesn't line up with our values at all and I will tell you that our group has ruffled some feathers and people don't understand that it seems like a really hard thing for people to understand that our group is absolutely conservative-minded, but we are not towing the GOP line completely. We are asking hard questions, and we are not letting people off the hook on answering these questions. And sometimes that um, can be yeah, it can be hard. <laughs> okay, I let's go to break. When we come back, I love uh, feathers rufflers. How's that? So, yes. yes. <laughs> so I'm talking with Donna Tompkins. She's the founder of Liberty Girls, which is so appropriate to have this conversation during the week of Independence Day. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Donna Tompkins. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. 
Practice shooting in the same place you bought the firearm. Frankton Firearms makes your life easier with safety and tactical training. Firearm storage and firearm purchase all conveniently located in the same place. At Franktown, learning is accessible. The team recommends you practice developing confidence in handling your gun with a proprietary training course or one-on-one instruction located on-site. Make your life easier and store your firearms safely on-premises at the Franktown Firearms Armory. The team at Franktown pride themselves on developing long-term relationships with their clients who utilize their one-stop shop. First-time buyers looking for guidance frequently return because they're having fun. They see beginners turning into experts all the time. And you can, too, with resources and tools at your disposal. No matter what level you're at, get your firearms curiosity, needs, and desires met at Franktown Firearms. Visit klzradio.com slash franktown or the Franktown Firearms storefront location. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our, our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Uh, thrilled to have it in studio with me, Donna Tompkins. She's the founder of Liberty Girls. And before we, we went to break, you said that you had ruffled some feathers. I find that mm-hmm. intriguing. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, again, I had never been involved in the political process before. And I call it kind of a process of finding out who's who in the zoo. (laughs) And truly, the last 16 months, meeting with people, hearing from people, um, has really clarified to me um, who is really freedom-minded and who truly is conservative-minded Uh, for the kinds of things that I think most families want. Um, I have met with people who I kind of thought we were aligned, and I find out later it's really a narrative that they're pushing. Mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot of pressure from political candidates to be highlighted in our group. Um, And the one thing, and again, this is very hard for people to understand, but when we started our group, it was not meant to be a total political group. Mm -hmm. We were coming together as a group of like-minded women um, to look at a bunch of different issues. It's just so happened we're in election year. Mm -hmm. We look at medical freedom issues. We look at school issues. And then, of course, because it was an election year, we dove into um, local politics. Um, And so as a group, we do not endorse particular candidates. We have over 400 women. So we have... Oh, my. (laughs) 400 different opinions, yes. You can imagine. And many times they look at issues and they look at candidates a little bit differently. Um, We don't coerce people to vote a certain way, but we are all about information, putting out information. Where are people speaking? Where can you listen to town halls? Where can you go ask questions? If there are articles that we think are balanced, we put those out there. Um... I tell people all the time, if they want to come talk to me as an individual, I'd be happy to, sh- to share with them what I found out about the candidates. Um, that's been a really hard thing. So when candidates call me or campaign managers call me 
and say, when are you going to have my candidates speak to your group? I, I have to often say, um, we're not. Um, we're not highlighting individuals. However, we will have forums where people can see candidates side by side. Um, we, we don't do gotcha questions. We will give them questions ahead of time and on the, the issues that are important to our ladies. Um, and so, yeah, we've gotten some pushback. I've gotten some people that don't speak to me anymore. Um, and I feel like my message has not changed. I will hear from anybody anything they want me to share as long as it's a balanced thing and they're not attacking the other candidate. I will promote their meet and greets. I will do all of that, but I'm not going to push one candidate. We need to trust that the education that we're giving our ladies or offering our ladies um not only do we encourage them to come to our stuff, but I want them out there, like see candidates across time, mm-hmm. see them at different venues, hear the different questions and how they answer them. Um, and so it has it has caused some issues. And honestly, in a group of over 400 women, too, there is the temptation even for grumbling amongst the group. People who have, you know, they're just determined that their person needs to be promoted and supported and mm-hmm. should win. Um, sometimes it's hard to separate that out from all of the right. other things that we right. want to do in our group. But we've tried to hold that line. And as long as my name's on the group, we're going to continue to do that because I don't want it to only be about who you vote for. It, it's The American idea is so much more than that. It is. And I, I want to talk about the word conservative. You've mentioned that. And the word conservative, there's been years and years and years of trying to vilify that word. But yet it's good to conserve water, energy, whatever. So that's, you know, the Green New Deal stuff, that's fine. Uh, And actually, I I do think that these issues that we're being faced with can be solved with creativity and innovation uh, instead of talking about scarcity. But so that's a different kind of conserve. The word conservative, they've painted it as, oh, they're really right-wing people, they're churchgoers, they want to tell you how to live your life, and that's not the case. The word conservative means to conserve this vision of our declaration. You mentioned CRT, that all men are created equal. That's what we need to be teaching our kids, that all men are created equal, and each of us have these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Calvin Coolidge, President Coolidge, said, if all men are uh, created equal, then that is final. So this whole CRT, or you'll have schools say, oh, we're not teaching that, but they're teaching the iteration, and that is putting kids in groups. That's so antithetical to the, the word conservative, to conserve this great American founding. Absolutely. Um, So much of what's going on is so divided. And I have heard the recent ads, like this candidate's too conservative for Colorado. And it kind of makes me chuckle. Um, And and it also brings me back to how um, I would say more of the extreme left has really tried to change words overall. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And and so I always challenge my friends to say, um, isn't it funny how, like, all of a sudden this word that used to mean one thing, they've decided it's going to mean, mean something, something else. And do we fall for that or do we see what's happening, you know, on a bigger scale? And, and I think, 
You know, I think that is the challenge right now that I see is there are a lot of people stepping up. I've met the most amazing people through this journey the last two years. Amazing. But there also is a group of people that don't seem to be putting all the little pieces together in a pattern to say a lot of what we see is very orchestrated. Mm -hmm. It's very divisive. Um, You know, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and I would say it was a middle class neighborhood. Um, We actually I went to a high school that um, it was a brand new high school. And I would say everybody said, like, we were merging with the other side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. And we merged, and it was great. And we had an integrated population. And you kind of knew, like, there are certain stairwells you didn't go down. There was, like, some kids that would get in trouble. But but there were people from all backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And we got along. Mm -hmm. We got an education. There wasn't this. So that's been really sad for me to see because I've lived in areas that are more integrated and then I think how far we've come Mm -hmm. and now how far we've gone backwards for a lot of people. Well, and it's this agenda instead of realizing the sanctity of the individual which that is um, the American idea putting people into groups where they lose their identity mm-hmm. and they take on an identity of the group. And we didn't realize that this was being taught in our schools. It's been occurring for quite some time. But I, I wanted to just mention those that have said and tried to vilify the word conservative of, oh, they're right wingers that want to tell you how to live your life. And well, let's take a little look at COVID. And what happened was we realized that it was really the radical activist left that wanted to tell us how to live our lives, who was essential, who wasn't, what you could do, where you could go, who you could meet. And I'm thinking, oh, it was really you guys, not those that want to conserve this American idea of all men are created equal with rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I think that's true. Um, It's funny. I had two, um, I would say, service providers in my life that had been there for years and I knew that they were pretty on the liberal side, which was fine. They were wonder- they are wonderful people. Um, but they canceled me really quick when I didn't fall in line with their COVID <laughs> guidelines that they decided to put in place. And I thought, wow, you know, I've accepted you for your very liberal views right. about things like abortion and things that are very emotional. But, like, you're all of a sudden going to judge me and tell me what I can do about my own personal body and medical choices. That was kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, Well, and I had the same thing happen. I've sat for years, you know, uh, getting together cocktail parties or coffee or whatever and listening to their point of view and and even kind of bashing conservatives, even while I'm sitting there. Mm. Thought we were still friends. Mm -hmm. But then things changed and then I got canceled it's like and what how that really happened Donna is it was there was a group of us that meant for many many years and uh conversation came up this was right pre-covid and um I thought we were having just honest conversations and one of the girls was offended by something I said and I, I didn't say anything offensive it was just truth but as you mentioned, the mom that said, I don't really want to know this. Mm-hmm. And she, so she said, I don't think we should talk about politics or religion here. And I'm like, okay. And then I stepped back and I'm like, she is asking me to censor myself. Mm-hmm. And we have done that for much too long. And so if our relationship means that I have to censor myself, that we can't have these honest conversations, 
then that relationship is going to a different spot. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the the when when political correctness started. I think that uh, most of us, we don't want to be arguing with people all the time. So we just wouldn't say anything. And I think over time, this negative influence kind of filled the void of us not speaking our truth. Mm -hmm. We don't like to fight with people. We don't like to have confrontations with people. Most people don't. So they just walk the other way. They don't speak their truth. And I think it just allowed this negativity to come in. Um, I really try to keep conversations with people, whether they be in person or online, um, when we don't agree on things, I still try to have civil conversations. I don't cancel people. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them, I don't necessarily tell them they're wrong. What I try to say is, in my experience, this is what I have seen. What a great way to handle that. Yeah. And and sometimes you can continue that conversation. And and isn't that the way we should be with each other? I don't think any of us knows absolute truth all the time. But this inability to have Mm -hmm. those discussions and just to be canceled, Mm -hmm. that's a really sad commentary, I think, on our um, society right now. But to that point, before we go to break, I do think that we need to search for absolute truth because there yes. are absolute truths out there. there and so that I think that's a journey of life. Yes. Um, but where we've gotten a lot of trouble is you have your truth. I have my truth. Mm-hmm. You know, ideally, we want to search for that absolute truth. So we're going to go to break. Fascinating conversation with Donna Tompkins. She is the founder of uh, Liberty Girls. And uh, so we're going to go to break. We'll uh, uh, continue the conversation when we come back. Medical freedom and personal choice are both sacred to comprehensive, patient-first health care. At Roots Medical, our providers honor those rights diligently in every appointment. Located in Denver Tech Center, Roots Medical is a functional primary care clinic with specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Establishing care with us is just a text message away, 303-569-6794. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. In studio with me is Donna Tompkins, and she is the founder of Liberty Girls. And it's just a, a fascinating thing. There's there's many people that are stepping forward, and I hear of different groups that are, are uh, uh, starting all over. It, it's very exciting, Donna. It really is. Um, I would say all of these groups have kind of a different personality to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that... Our personality is a little bit different in that um, we are leaning into local politics. 
But uh, most of the women in my group um, have a very strong personal faith um, that drives a lot of what they're doing. And they're really interested in becoming a community, not just working on issues, but becoming a like-minded community of people um, to work on all kinds of things. Some groups are more just straight political groups. Some are more social groups. They mm-hmm. just people wanting to be together with like-minded people. I'm excited because we just started an Arapahoe County uh, group, um, and we helped start one in Loveland, Colorado. Uh, what I tell my friends in other states, even when you may feel like your state's in great shape, um, don't don't rest too much on mm-hmm. your laurels there. Um, I think that a lot of these negative things that I see as negative, uh, like CRT in schools, is being pushed everywhere across yes. the country. And so it would be better to make sure that you have strong uh, parent groups involved in your schools to see what's going on, uh, to be involved in your local politics, going to your county commissioners meetings, school board meetings, those kinds of things. Um, because I do believe there's an orchestrated, um, you know, uh, approach to getting this um, across our state. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe Colorado is one of the most difficult states with a lot of these issues. Um, but uh, I really hope that the number of groups and the heart behind these groups will grow. And that's why I talk to people daily from other counties um, and states about what they can do. And I encourage them, stand up a group now. Just start digging in. Make sure that, you know, you might be fine. Mm-hmm. But don't you want to know what's being taught in your, your kid's school? Don't you want to know what library books are in your kids' libraries? I think we should know. We really should know. And you mentioned Colorado. Donna, I really feel that Donna, that, excuse me, that Colorado is at the tip of the spear. I do, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say in the beginning of the show that we were made for this moment, I really do believe that as well. And you mentioned about young families. We as grandparents, community members, we can't just not be paying attention. In fact, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, one of the recordings that we did, and he said the first thing he does when he meets a young person is he says he apologizes that under our watch that we've let it get to this point. And I, I feel the same way. And so that means that we need to come in and support them and help them because we were asleep at the wheel. I think that's true. And... Um I think there's still a lot of people that don't recognize that. I honestly think that we got, we just got too comfortable. I know. It wasn't mean-spirited. It wasn't not wanting to be involved. We just loved our families and were involved in, you know, our church activities. We just, we didn't see it, honestly. And so um, it's, the time is now. I think, too, once people, once you can get them out of their homes and they realize there's an issue and that it that we have to stand up and we have to get informed. Once you start down that road, like I took a constitution class last year. Wow. And I realized, well, probably I didn't pay attention really well in history class when I was growing <laughs> up. I was a little more on the creative side, like I liked art class. Um, but when I went to that constitution class, I, my mind was blown. Like when you understand 
what our Constitution says and how many powers that are not enumerated in our Constitution that our government is taking for themselves. Mm -hmm. It is shocking. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know those things, maybe you're more likely to give up your rights because you don't even know that you have that right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a process. But I think once you head down that road... You, you can't stop looking and you can't stop learning and uh, you realize we've got to do something. Well, and doing something and, and one of the the first things is, is to get together and to talk about these ideas. I mean, the founders did and uh, they'd get together in taverns and and talk about these big ideas. And that's really what we're reclaiming here is talking about this big idea. A lot of people don't understand that the American idea was one of the most radical things throughout history because normally it was kings and serfs, elites, the haves, the have-nots. And here, these men said, what if we governed ourselves? Mm -hmm. What would happen? Well, America happened. That's right. I think they were brilliant. I think they thought about things that we would have never thought of. I mean, they really were. Um, Of course, we see a lot in government right now where... um, we see things that should not be happening based on our Constitution, but they they foresaw a lot of what could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's uh, quite a learning experience. But I, it's almost like you have to you have to talk people into just come, just learn. Hear one person. I think once you head down that road, you do look into these things. Um, I learned a lot too about the Federal Reserve. I mean, I thought the Federal Reserve was something completely different. When I learned about how that was established, when I learned about some of these supposedly philanthropic groups that I now see completely different, um, it's kind of a whole world shift change, really. Um, But what I'm hoping is, as we see things get more difficult for the American citizen, I mean, a lot of what's happening right now doesn't need to happen. Um, And I almost think that... Uh, Americans need to get personally uncomfortable. It's coming. Uh huh. <laughs> enough that they say they start to put the pieces together. Like, why are gas prices so high? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not because of one thing. It's because of a lot of things. But just look a year and a half ago, two years ago, gas prices weren't that high. What was different then? Being able to look at policies that um, absolutely have consequences. They're not one person's fault. They're not Russia's fault. They're not the Ukraine's fault. Policies make a difference. And also to see that elections make a difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody. When I used to get my ballot, sometimes I'm like, I don't know these people. I'm just going to check people off. Mm -hmm. And I just saw an ad. You just got a mailer. Yeah, I knew their, like I'd heard their name. That's not happening anymore. No, we can't afford to do that. We have got to get better people in the seats. I mean, if we haven't seen how much a governor can affect our lives during COVID, like if we don't realize that now, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when we would. Um, So I will will make a political comment here. And and that is that uh, in Colorado, we have Colorado's Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, which I think it was passed in 1992. 
And that has been one of the reasons why Colorado has flourished from an economic standpoint is because it was put in place to keep uh, government limited. And it said to government, state government, you can grow a certain amount, and that would be inflation plus population. Of course, you think about inflation right now. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But inflation plus population. And any revenues above that need to be returned back to us, the people. It is our money. So Polis is going to, now he keeps upping the money. And now as of today, every individual is going to receive $750 of their own money back. And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people that had their hands in the pot as the money went by. But it'll probably come out right before election. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't sign the check, but it is our money. And it would indicate to me that uh, he's concerned about his reelection. Uh, and don't, don't sell your vote. Don't, don't do that, because he's just pandering. Yes, I did read that, and I thought, wow, what a, what a way to try to get votes, for sure. I'm just hoping people, um, again, start to see that is our money. Yeah. That is our money. And, you know, it happens at the federal level, too. Mm -hmm. They take in our money, and then they give these checks out. Uh, But where are we now? All that money that flooded into our system? That is one of the contributing factors to uh, this inflation. Yep. And uh, when, um, was it Janet Yellen said that this uh, inflation was going to be transitory? I'm no economist. I do know what a woman is. But I pretty was pretty sure that this was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yep. it's amazing that a lot of these people still have their jobs. But oh, in government, you yeah. don't have to get the right results. It doesn't seem like that. No, no you or I would be fired. Right. But that doesn't seem to happen. So at the ballot box, that's where we the people yes. get to fire people that have not been doing their job, which have not been conserving this American idea, keeping government limited, getting out of our way so that we can live our lives. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, that's one of the things we learned in the Constitution class is about all of these government agencies that have been added to our government that really shouldn't even be there. Um, It's pretty alarming because you grow up with them and you just think like, we need those things. We really don't, we don't, and we're not really supposed to have them. And the regulations, again, growing up in a small family business, even way back when, I saw how difficult it was for my father. And we had no money when he started. But the regulations from the government, it just seemed like government didn't like small business at all. No. Mm-mm. Oh, is that why they said some businesses are essential, which would be the little guy? I guess. And the yeah. big guys were the, uh, mm-hmm. as, uh, they were non-essential, and then the essential was the big guy. Right. Got a couple of minutes left. Okay. This has been fascinating, first of all. And congratulations to you on uh, all that you're doing with Liberty Girls. It is really remarkable. And again, let's see, uh, the people can email you at libertygirlsco at gmail.com if they want more information and you'll talk with them about that. Absolutely. I can tell them if there's a group close to them or I might talk with them about starting a group because we need some more groups around the area. Um, It's a little easier for women to come together if Uh there's groups all over the place. So, Speaking of that, I did uh, a woman that I had run into. I I think I ran into now I can't remember where at, but she said I think I'm going to start a Liberty Girls group. She said that she'd been talking with you. Oh. So that might be your Arapahoe County group. I'm not sure. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here, we have a couple of minutes left. Um, looking forward at our country. Uh, we're concerned for our children and our grandchildren. Um, 
you know, what's your thoughts on all that, Donna? Well, you know, you, you mentioned before, some days it feels like things are coming at us um, out of a fire hose. There's just so many issues, and, and we grapple with that, certainly, in our group. Like, what are the issues we take up? What are the ones that we can have an impact on? Some days you feel like staying in bed. But you it, can't. You can't, <laughs> no. And, you know, I feel the responsibility, and I do have a steering committee that's very committed. We do feel the responsibility to steer this group, to educate this group on the things um, that we can make an impact on. Um I'm so grateful that we have this community because that's what keeps me going right now. And I think I tell the girls all the time when they like new girls, I'll say fighting some of these issues in a group as opposed to being an individual feeling like you're helpless to make a change makes all the difference. I still have hope. Um, we're going to continue on, and I have great hope. I still believe God's in control. He knows the end of the story. And I just want to be used um, in whatever way um, he takes us. And so we really do. That's one of the things we talk about is we invite God into our meetings and what we're doing to guide us because we know that he knows best. And the divine provider had his finger on this country when it was founded, and he still does. So Donna uh, Tompkins, thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kim. Okay, and our quote for the end of the show is from Thomas Paine. He said, from the error of other nations, let us learn wisdom. So my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.